6, 4 through 18. So turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 18, if you will. Here, the Lord God, speaking through Moses to the people of Israel on the verge of entering the promised land, calls them to covenant faithfulness, to loyalty, to devotion to him, and warns them against putting him to the test, having a performative and outward faith without any inward substance to it. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 18. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, Then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you, for the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God, as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And our sermon text is Matthew 22, Verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. 
Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray once again to you, seeking your grace. In particular, the grace of open hearts to receive your word in faith. We pray that by your sovereign power, you would make our hearts the good soil where the seed of your word would be planted and it would be well watered and would put down roots and grow up to bear fruit for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember 2020? COVID-19? Those were not happy days um, for us. And during those times, as I'm sure you remember, during those days we were faced with a flurry of mandates and, and orders and instructions reaching into all kinds of different aspects of our lives. Um, about what you have to put on your face before you go into the store, uh, about how many people can gather in a space like a church building at one time. And it put us all in a situation that we might not have thought through so carefully before and because we just hadn't been through it personally before. It forced us to think about this question. How are we supposed to live with regard to the governing authorities. What are we supposed to do when, when, when the authorities start telling you these different things, more than we're used to? How, how do we respond as Christians to those things? What if the governing authorities are telling you something that you don't think is necessarily wrong, but you're not sure it's the best thing? What, what, if, what if the governing authorities actually do tell you something that's inherently contradictory to the Word of God? How do you respond? Well, thankfully, in God's good providence, those days, for now, are in the past. For now. Um, But the main issue, right, the issue is still there. Um, How do we respond as citizens of the kingdom of heaven to the government? And how does that relate to our relationship with God? What, does the, what is my position in the kingdom of heaven that Christ has brought? What does my position in this kingdom have to do with the kingdom of this world and, and the governing authorities? What does God do with whether I have to pay my taxes? These are very practical questions. Um, they're very old questions. They didn't start in 2020 with COVID-19. Uh, these are questions people were debating in Jesus' day as well. Uh, The priests and the Sadducees, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Zealots, all these different groups during Jesus' own day in the first century debated these same things. Some of them were anti-Roman. They didn't like paying the tax. They didn't think it was right to pay the tax to Rome. Um, they, they, They wanted to resist, some extremely so. They wanted to resist violently and overthrow Roman rule, Um, reestablish the theocracy, the pure theocracy of the Mosaic law. Um, Others were fine with it. The system was working out fine for them. It was helping them get positions of authority and and power. Some, like the Herodians, who we'll see in today's text, are enthusiastic supporters of Herod, the puppet rule of Rome over Judea. Um, And so all these different groups are debating these matters. So it's an old question this question of how we relate to government. Um, But most fundamentally, brothers and sisters, as Jesus shows us in the text this morning, this question is a religious question. 
It is a deeply personal and deeply religious question. It boils down to who your authority is, to who you're worshiping, to who you're trusting, to who your God is. Who has your heart? The Jewish religious authorities come with Jesus. They have this trap, this question, this hot topic, and they're trying to drag him into their controversy. But he ducks the punch and he counters with his own and calls them and calls us to total devotion to God. A devotion to God which comprehends and includes our relationship to the government and and the the authorities that, 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 that exist, but that goes far beyond it as well. This is what we're looking at this morning. We pick up in verse 15. Um, Remember where we are in Matthew's gospel. It's good to remember uh, just where we are on the map here. It's probably Tuesday of Passion Week. So we're heading towards Friday, which is going to be the day that Jesus is crucified. Jesus has just... Uh, he's just ridden in a couple days earlier uh, on Sunday. He's, he's ridden in to Jerusalem. He's openly proclaimed that he's the Christ. He's gone in. He's cleansed the temple. He's healed in the temple. He's told three parables, three, uh, three, three, three attacks, direct attacks on the hypocrisy and the unbelief of the religious leaders. And he has enraged the religious leaders. They are desperate to destroy him. So they plot, they get together, they think, well, how are we going to deal with this Jesus? How are we going to take him down? They can't just outright go after him because the crowds love him. But if they can trip him up, trap him in his words, then they might have a chance to kill him, which is what they want. So the Pharisees, the Pharisees start out here and they take the lead in verse 15. And they send their disciples, their, their, little, their little junior Pharisees, uh, together with a group of uh, these people called, called Herodians. Um, it's an unlikely alliance to have junior Pharisee disciples and Herodians together. Um, the, uh, the Pharisees wanted a very pure, unadulterated Judaism. The Herodians were enthusiastic supporters of Herod and Rome. Uh, normally, they'd be arguing against each other, uh, like conservatives and liberals. But now they've got a common enemy, so they come together to confront Jesus. They start their speech in verse 16. They say this, Teacher, we know you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of man. Jesus, they say, you are, you are, you are truth itself. You, are, you always say exactly what is right. You don't care about people's opinions. You just say what's true according to the word of God. What do you think of their opening speech. The flattery is, is pretty obvious, isn't it? Um, but it's, it's, it's ironic what they're saying, because what they're saying is actually true, isn't it? They don't mean it to be true, but it is true. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Every word that comes from his mouth is the very word of God. They don't think it is, but what they're saying is actually ironically true. They, they do know he's not swayed by the opinions of others. He is not afraid of man and what man might do to him. But they're trying to lay a little trap for him, even in this flattering introduction. What they're trying to do is put him in a position where if he refuses to answer their question, the crowds will think, aha, he is afraid of our opinions. 
He's afraid of the Pharisees' opinions. So they're trying to, to draw Jesus into that, into that trap so that if he refuses to answer their question, he will look like a coward. Um, then in verse 17, they give the, the trap itself. Verse, verse 17, they say this, Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It's a good question. It's a, it's a good setup uh, for them um, because it, it's, it looks like it forces Jesus into a dilemma. If he says it's lawful to pay taxes, then everyone who doesn't think it's lawful to pay taxes will be angry with Jesus. Those who want to set up their own, um, their own uh, rule instead of Rome, they'll be, they'll be, they'll be very angry with Jesus. Um, if Jesus says it's lawful to pay taxes, it will also perhaps make him like a pretty insignificant king. Jesus, you just wrote in here saying you're the Christ. Do we still have to pay taxes to Rome? Is your kingdom more powerful than Rome's now? Are we in your kingdom still paying taxes to an emperor who rules over us from a different kingdom? So they're trying to get him to say that mistake. Or, if he doesn't choose that bad option, maybe he'll choose the next bad option, just as bad. If he says, no, it's not lawful to pay taxes to Rome, then they can say he's a traitor. He's a rebel. He's a revolutionary. And they can bring the arm of the law of the Roman government down on him and have him crucified. And in fact, that's exactly what they do. Even though he doesn't answer the question this way, they go on and blame him for answering the question this way. In Luke 23, verse 2, at Jesus' crucifixion, they do accuse Jesus like this. We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So they're trying to frame the question, force Jesus into a dilemma, and use it against him. Before we see how Jesus answers, um, let's think about the question and the dilemma a little bit more carefully together. How would you answer the question? Now, we're not having debates, right? This isn't in our, at our dinner table or, or what have you. We're not arguing, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Uh, but the issue here is one that we are debating, that we do think about, we do talk about. And that is the relationship of the church and the Christian in the church to culture and to, the, and, and to government. One writer puts it like this. I think he frames it very well. He says, if Jesus answers yes, he is an assimilationist who has sold out the gospel to the culture. And if he answers no, he is a hater and an isolationist trying to live in a bubble as if the culture around him does not exist. That's so often how we can tend to approach things or think about things. Right? It's, it's either this one or, or this one. It's either we assimilate, we, we, we uh, put our head down, we accept the things of the culture, we go along with the things of the culture, and uh, we enjoy the security and the control and the participation and, and just the peace and quiet and comfort that can give us. Or we become complete isolationists, say it's us versus them, and, and it's just this all the time, and, and we enjoy the freedom and, 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 and the feeling of power of rebellion that that might give us. And so we feel the pull between these, these two different things. Which is it? Jesus says elsewhere, we are in the world, but not of the world. Some of us like to 
emphasize the in. Some of us like to emphasize the but not of. Which is it? Assimilate, pay the tax to Caesar, or stand out, stand up, rebel, resist. Well, this is how Jesus answers. Verses 18 through 21. He destroys the dilemma. Um, one, one commentator writing about this says, they, give him, they put him on the horns of, of the dilemma, and he breaks the horns of the dilemma. He smashes it and says, no, we're not going to, that's the wrong question. Let me give you the right answer. Um, every time, it's, so, it's, so, um, it's just delightful in a way to, to read through the Gospels and see the way that our Lord Jesus parries and, 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 and counterattacks every time the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they come at him with these things. It always backfires on them. Uh, because you cannot argue with him. Um, but anyway, how does he answer? First, he sees through their flattery. Um, he's very direct with them. Verse 18, why do you test me, hypocrites? Why do you test me? He, he points out that instead of trusting him, they're testing. And instead of coming to him, as right, we've seen throughout the gospel, the contrast between those who come to Jesus crying out for mercy, have, have mercy on me, the ones who come poor in spirit, needy, save me, and those who come proud, self-righteous, um, testing, those who come like the Israelites in the Exodus, rebelling against God, not believing His promises, not loving Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus says, you Pharisees are doing exactly the same thing. And so He calls them what they are, which is hypocrites. Right? Mask wearers. Um, he uses that term 13 times in Matthew's Gospel. It is something he's going after in this Gospel. Uh, on the, they, they're using this nice, buttery language. Right? They're, they're saying, you're such a good teacher. But underneath, they are trying to kill him. Trying to destroy him. They think that they are faithful to Yahweh. But they are far, far from Yahweh. So Jesus says, why do you test me, you hypocrites? But then he says more. He could have ended the conversation there. Uh, they don't deserve an answer. They're not asking the question as a, as a genuine question. They're just trying to trap him. Um, but he does answer uh, in, a, in a way. Um, first, he asks them for the tax money. Um, this tax could be paid in Roman coinage or Jewish currency, but the amount had to be the equivalent of a Roman denarius, uh, which was equal to a day's wages for a laborer. So think um, whatever you make in a day or whatever the average kind of uh, uh, worker earns in a day, that's, that's the amount this is worth. Jesus apparently doesn't have a denarius on him. He doesn't reach in his own pocket and pull out his denarius. Um, his disciples don't produce a denarius. Judas would have charge of the money bag, but Jesus does not ask for this from him. Um, uh, Jesus wants the opponents to bring the denarius. You produce it. As it happens, they have one. And, uh, and already he's, 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 he's showing something. He's, 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 he's popping the balloon of their pride a little bit. Um, because they're having this pious debate about, about whether it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not, but there in their pockets is a graven image of Caesar. Um, borderline breaking of the second commandment, perhaps, which said, don't make graven images. 
I expect they look rather sheepish drawing this denarius out of their pocket. Uh, yeah, I, I do have some of this on me. Uh, here it is. Um, and I, on this coin, image of Caesar, and it would have said this, this inscription, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. That is quite a thing for a Pharisee to be carrying around in his pocket. And then Jesus asks them to identify the face on the coin. Say it's Caesar and, and the inscription, it's, it has Caesar's name on it. So Jesus now lands the next, the next punch of his argument. He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Caesar's face is on the coin. Caesar has jurisdiction over this. He has jurisdiction over you. He's a legitimate authority. Pay the tax. Um, it's very straightforward in, in his logic. He doesn't beat about the bush with it. It's Caesar's. Give it to Caesar. And his apostles will go on to apply this same basic principle in their, in their writings, in their epistles. Um, we see this Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul. Unpacking the same point that Jesus is making here calls us to be submissive to the governing authorities. Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been, in, been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. The Apostle Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, Caesar, as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So it's crystal clear. Submit to the authorities, pay the tax. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven under the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ, but you're also a citizen of this world and part of this world. And until the kingdom of heaven comes in all its consummate glory at the last day, we are living in exile and we are to pay our taxes and seek the welfare of the city that we are in. This was not any easier in the first century, loved ones, than it is now. Perhaps it was much harder um, in, in some respects. We might say, well, they had it easy, but um, this is the Roman Empire, and there are good things about certain aspects of the Roman Empire, but uh, the, the, the Caesars claim to be divine. They claim to be sons of God. So by supporting them, you can say, well, we're supporting someone who's blasphemous. Um, they support all kinds of evil practices. Immorality runs rampant in Rome. Same kinds of immorality that we see all around us in our own culture. They are going to begin persecuting Christians. Jesus saying, pay your taxes to Caesar, will soon be crucified by Roman soldiers. Paul saying, submit to the governing authorities, will be killed by the command of Caesar. Peter saying, honor the emperor, will be put to death because of the emperor. So what they call the early church to, following Christ's word, 
is also what we are called to follow and honor, honor the emperor, pay the taxes. Um, and in fact, don't just do the bare minimum, but be a model of honoring the governing authorities. This is, this is, this is the astounding command here that not just are the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ to begrudgingly submit to and honor the government. But we are to pray for them and honor them more than anyone else. In the right way, not, 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 in, a, not in an obsequious way, not in, a, not in a, uh, um, a performative way, but genuine honor and, and, and respect for the authorities that God has established. Brothers and sisters, as a Christian, you should be a model of respect to our government. As a church, we should be a model of respect to our government. And it doesn't depend on which political party is in power, who the president is, who the senators are, who the governor is. We should vote according to our biblically informed consciences and debate and argue and, and, and discuss things, air our opinions. Yes, all those things. But still honor the authorities. Pay the taxes. Don't slander. Don't badmouth. Don't disrespect. And in a culture like ours, brothers and sisters, where there is so much on, uh, all around, on, on all sides, of disrespect and dishonor for authority, we should be, uh, we, we should stand out as remarkably different. So, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But then Jesus says the next, the, the rest of the, the, the phrase. He lands the third punch here. He says, not only does, not only render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. What does he mean? Does he mean like, over here, this aspect of your life, you give it to Caesar, and then these things in your life are God's and you give them to God's. One writer says, it's like, is it like having two piles of laundry? You've got your shirts and you've got your pants. Um, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God's. Is that what Jesus means? Well, no, not at all. Um, there is only one pile of laundry. There's only, our life is, is all given to God. And part of it, given to Caesar, is given to Caesar for God's sake. This comes out in, in, in several ways in what Christ says here. Uh, first of all, you can just look at the coin and, and, and Jesus' argument based on the coin, the denarius. Um, the coin is made in Caesar's image. Um, so you give it to Caesar, but Caesar himself, whose image is he made in? He's, he's made in the image of God, isn't he? So, Caesar made in God's image. The coin made an image of an image bearer. So, whose is it? Is it Caesar's? No, that denarius ultimately is God's. Belongs to him. It's derivatively Caesar's, but ultimately it's God's. Has God's image bearer marked on it. And so, when you pay your taxes, yes, you're doing it to, for the government, but you're paying the tax to God. You're giving God what is owed to him as, as someone in the kingdom of heaven. You are doing your submission is all in the context of obedience to God. And this means that our submission to the authorities that we're called to, to do is qualified submission 
It's not absolute submission. It's qualified. It's, it's in a context. It's not absolute. If the government contradicts what God says, then you obey God. And you say with Peter in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than man. God's authority, loved ones, makes government authority legitimate, but penultimate, secondary, to his own ultimate authority. And so, even as we said before, that Christians should be first in showing honor to the authorities, Christians also should be first when it's the right time, because they're going against God's word, it's the right time to go against what the authorities say. Christians should be first in that as well. Not in a brash, braggadocious, look at me kind of way. A humble, respectful attitude, but conviction, courage. God says to do this, we're going to do this. See, brothers and sisters, we need to be first in both. That's what Christ is calling us to. We need to brace ourselves because as persecution comes, in whatever form it comes, we must stand firm and obey God rather than man. And there is a time and a place for that. So, for the citizen of the kingdom of heaven, government is something, but government is not everything. We submit, we render to Caesar what's Caesar's, but we do it out of this larger context of giving, giving all to God. That's the first principle that Jesus gives us, brothers and sisters. Um, honor the authorities for God's sake. Pay your taxes for God's sake. The second thing that Jesus points us to here is the fundamental matter of the heart. So when he says, give to God what is God's, he's not only pointing at the coin and how it has this image of an image bearer of God and it all belongs to him, but he's also pointing right at us because we bear God's image. We are God's image. Genesis 1:27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You are stamped like a coin with the image of God. You bear the image of God. You are an image of God. That's what it is to be a human being, to be image bearer, imago Dei. Um, now that image is, is marred and defaced and broken and, and bent and misused and all those things in the fall into our sin but the image is still there and will always be there because that's what it is to be human. And the image bearing, the way we bear the image of God is in all that we are apart from our sin. And so Jesus is pointing out to us that everything we are, everything we have, all that you are belongs to God. Just as that denarius bearing Caesar's image belongs to Caesar, you, bearing God's image, belong to God. And so Jesus, he's aiming these words at the Pharisees and the Herodians to say this, you offer to God a pretend front of performative obedience. Um, but underneath, 
is your vast, deep heart which is held in reserve for yourself. You give to God outward show of religion, but you're not giving Him all. And you must give Him all. And so he's, they're debating about paying one denarius to Rome. Right? One day's wages is not a big deal for a tax. That's, that's a pretty small tax. Uh, one, one day's wage. Pay it to Caesar. He says, stop arguing about this. Give it to Caesar. Now focus on this. Give to God what is God's. Everything you have, everything you are, all your work and play and your, all your relationships, you belong to God. And the very sharp and uncomfortable point of Jesus' command here is that as long as they refuse to bow to Him, they are not giving anything at all to God. Um, Jesus is the image of God, perfect image of God, and He has come to bring the kingdom of God. And what are they doing with all their might? They're fighting the kingdom of God. They're fighting, they're resisting giving anything at all to God. They are hoarding their own comfort, position, and privilege, and power, and resisting giving anything at all to God because they won't bow to Jesus Christ. And Jesus points out very clearly that they are, their obedience is utterly empty. And so they're caught in the trap that they set for our Lord Jesus. And they're left speechless at his words. Verse 22, when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. They have nothing to say. They see the truth of what he said. It's staggering. It's true. It's profound. It's deep. It's incisive. It's convicting. They feel the weight of that conviction even though they won't repent and they walk away, tail between the legs, back to their Pharisee masters to regroup and try again. Um, so they, they, they are full of awe. But there's no repentance. No repentance. They don't acknowledge their pride and hypocrisy and their dishonoring of Caesar and most of all the dishonoring of God. Now, loved ones, it's one thing for us to, to analyze the text this morning, marvel at what Jesus says and how brilliant his answer is, how he sidesteps the dilemma and, and turns around and gives this profound answer. It's one thing to marvel at that and be in awe of that, but it's, a, it's another thing to respond with faith and trust. It's one thing to say, wow, isn't Jesus brilliant? It's another thing to say, I need to repent and put my faith in this Savior to live for Christ and everything, to have an all-of-life obedience and a wholehearted obedience that every strata of my heart would be given to Him and committed to Him. Um, this is what Christ calls us to. This give, it to. give to God what is God's. Repent of not doing that. Give it to Him. But our Lord Jesus, so wonderfully, so graciously, has not simply come in the gospel to say, you, O God, give it to him. He's come to say, you, O God, I'll pay the debt. I'll give it to him. You trust me. And you receive that for your own debt. Um, our Lord Jesus uh, in the gospel comes and he pays the debt, the tax to God of all that we are 
that we could never pay. He pays the price of, the, of our rebellion and our, and our sin. God sends His Son not to crush us for our rebellion, but to be crushed for our sin by His own righteous justice and His wrath so that we could be made God's sons and, and have all our debts forgiven and, and receive the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. Christ so perfectly submitted to the authorities. He so perfectly stood up to the authorities when it was time to. And His perfect righteousness covers all of your sin and failure to do so. And so, loved ones, let us hold fast to Him, trust Him, and walk in the same way in which He walked. Because of what our Lord Jesus has done for you, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank You for Your Word. Let not Satan pluck it away. Let not the cares and concerns of the world choke it out. Let not the heat of persecution wither it, but make it to take root, water it, and give life and growth and fruit. Let us not be those who um, uh, only hear the Word and walk away, but let us be those who hear the Word and do what it says. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.